Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Donald Deneen. Yes, radio presenter, photographer, filmmaker, DJ, everything really. Donald Deneen. It was recorded live at the inaugural It Takes a Village Festival very early on Sunday morning. Thanks to the people who showed up. Um, and I feel the hangover pain of everybody who didn't. I I feel the pain. It was a really, really great, like, 18 hours that I got to spend at the festival. I think it was. I had a wedding on the Friday, so I couldn't go. Um, on the Friday, I heard Altered Hours were amazing. As Donald Deneen says, Lancome and the Jimmy Cake kind of collaborated for a little bit. He'll talk about that during the interview and it sounds like it was a magical, magical moment and I really, really wish that I was there for it. I did get to see Young Fathers for the second time in about two weeks or less than three weeks. Anyway, I'd seen them in Dublin a couple of weeks prior and I knew that they were going to be amazing at It Takes a Village and they didn't disappoint. For those of you wondering what It Takes a Village is, it was a three-day festival curated by Joe Kelly and Ed O'Leary of uh, The Good Room, who put on gigs at Live at St. Luke's up on the north side of Cork City in the big church there. I talked to Joe Kelly a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, if you want to listen back to that. We only talk kind of a little bit about the festival. I think that it'll hold up post-first It Takes a Village festival, if you do feel like you want to go back and listen. Um, But yeah, it, it sounds like... It achieved what they set out to achieve, which was a completely different feel. It took place in Trebulgan. It was self-accommodation. There's houses in Trebulgan, which is like a little holiday village straight away. This was my first time at Trebulgan. And straight away, uh, I call, I text my brother and I was just like, you have to take your kids to Trebulgan. They'll love it. There's golf. There's a swimming pool. There's uh, go-karts. There's an arcade. The arcade is amazing. I can't believe that there wasn't like everybody in there all of the time, even though it did suck up one of our two euro coins and I didn't get to prove my uh, my expertise over breed in one of the games. But look, look, it's fine. Whatever. Um, but yeah, it was really, really great. And I got to talk to Donald Deneen at It Takes a Village. What What a great weekend for me. <laughs> and hopefully it was a great weekend for him. In fact, I know it was because he went on his uh, Facebook page and kind of wrote a long, really glowing tribute of the first festival. So you can find that on Facebook uh, if you want to see what Donal made of the whole thing. But um, first of all, Donal, or most recently, I suppose Donal has been involved in a Pathways documentary, which he made for uh, St. Patrick's Festival. It was commissioned by them. It's a really, really interesting a uh, 90 minute film um that went up as part of obviously St Patrick's Day this year come on keep up <laughs> like i'm just about trying to keep up it featured donald kind of travelling the world and talking to all of these ex irish experts in their field of the arts so he talks to the likes of Annie Mack, Aoife McArdle, who's a filmmaker, Brian Ormond, who's a sculptor, Enda Walsh, playwright who also worked on David Bowie's uh, you know, kind of near the end and knew him near the end of his life. Uh, Fiona Shaw, Eva Rothschild, uh, Richard Gillen, a photographer, Sean Curran, who's a 
choreographer and the film opens up with Donald in Sweden talking to Rich Egan aka Jape who also did the music for the uh, film and Jape is someone that like I think he should have a podcast of his own I think every time that Rich Egan speaks I will listen because I think he's just so enlightening and he's so he gets his ideas across so well of what he actually wants to achieve uh unlike me who can't get my ideas across <laughs> um but yeah that's the most recent thing that donald has been involved in he's also involved in the saint no disco with miles o'reilly of arbiter's shanks it's three episodes deep it's an online music show obviously donald used to present no disco on on the TV, I just about remember it because I wasn't really into music back then. But, you know, I've heard so many people talk about it. I feel like I was a fan. Um, this Ain't No Disco is an amazing piece of work. We kind of talk, I'll, we talk about it during it, so I don't need to explain it too much. But if you haven't seen it, like, I have no problem saying just to stop what you're doing, open YouTube and watch the three episodes because magic happens across those, like, two hours that it will take to for you to watch it. Uh, it's a real, real tribute to like Donald's influence and career that he's able to bring these esteemed people together. Rady Pete, Katie Kim, um, Villagers, Connor O'Brien and Nico Mooley are the ones that we discussed during our chat. And yeah, hopefully there'll be more of it. It sounds like it's in a bit of a, a lull at the moment, but hopefully things will come together and they'll get to do more of it. You can also catch Donald Deneen DJing and yeah, making films and all of these different things. And so the interview opens up by me asking Donald, like, with all of these things, does he feel like um, like he is just one of these things? Does he feel like he's a general artist? Does he feel like just a DJ? He was also DJing across the three days of It Takes a Village. Is, you know, does he feel like one of these things? Is he all of these things? So keep that in mind as we go to Donald Deneen now on a sleepy Sunday morning at It Takes a Village in Trebolgan. Yeah, I see myself as the master of um, none of them, but a uh, jack of all trades. And um, I guess... DJing is probably the most valid-looking excuse, but um, it's just appearances. So, um, but the uh, trying to do other things um, is mainly off, well necessitated by not really having a job. So that's kind of the main uh, driving force between uh, behind all the projects. Um, the most recent one, the Pathways documentary, was. Um, uh, just to kind of again something that I was really interested in for a while and got lucky with uh, getting some funding to do that so um, by via the St. Patrick's Festival who commissioned it and the, the Say No Disco was is really a labour of love that's um, more or less like what you do yourselves uh, a statement of uh, intent about like what you believe in with music and also uh, in some ways I guess it's a kind of response to the lack of good programming with regard to music from um, semi-state broadcasting organisations. Um, so like you mentioned luck there do you think that luck is kind of like what it comes down to a lot of the time in the Irish music industry that it's like who you meet like on a random night out or something or you might meet someone here and just decide like oh I want to do something with you um, I think that there's there's 
undoubtedly a random element in, in uh, you know, making your life or, or making music and trying to make that your, your life because um, it's something that it's um, a very elusive kind of thing to be able to be secure in that world, you know, so um, but then you kind of I think it's possible even within that to, to make your own look because if you're like creative and if you're working in a world that involves like um, you know showing an artistic side I think you can kind of find creative solutions to that so the, the good thing about now there's lots of disadvantages to being um, a music producer or making music in the world at the moment because it seems like a very difficult place to get on but like one of the good things is you can do it on your own so um, I think these days you know, you, you, you don't necessarily need to make those connections to um, do good things and for it to be, you know, uh, for, for, we'll say, the fruit of your labours, be it music or whatever, for that to become visible in, uh, in some way, you know. Um, so there's are, there are, there's means uh, to kind of releasing things that are different to what they used to be. So I think that in some ways technology has kind of freed up music a little bit more and given people some control over what they produce. Um, but it also means that you know music is distributed far more widely, and therefore it's uh, it's harder to find your own niche and to, to be successful in that respect. You know, so so I, I don't know if that answers the question, but um, it's a it's a thing that like I see that now is a time of plenty in in some ways in the Irish music, and also it's a time of uh, you know extremely bare sort of resources and um, and also you know in terms of supporting music where the strength should be in, in things like 2FM and so on, uh, there's none whatsoever. So there's no real backbone of support for, for what's happening. So something like this is like, um, you know, much more representative of what's really going on than uh, we'll say the playlist on, a, on an RTE show, for instance. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, I, I don't know how much you want to talk about radio. Like, are you kind of tired of beating the same no. kind of dead horse? <laughs> no. No. Uh, like, I mean, I try to be broadly positive about it. I know that it's difficult sometimes to be when you hear, you know, some of the, some of the people on the radio, um, not getting into any specifics, I suppose. Yeah. But, like, uh, I, I, I think that, um, like, Untev Tuhul is, like, a world-class radio show. Mm. Two hours, like... Every day, apart from Saturday on Radio Nagaltukta and Kino Quevon, who's also a brilliant DJ as well, like he just does amazing things. So, like, th there are good things out there, and you just want them to succeed. And it's just like he seems to be doing a good job, and like he seems to be happy with what he's doing as well. So, there are people there, you just have to look for it. But then you mentioned technology earlier, like, I mean, lots of people have the tuning app on their radio now, and it's kind of like you can listen to. Um, BBC Six Music, you know, in the morning, in the afternoon, you can switch to something like Dublin Digital Radio, which is, I, I guess that they're almost like a kind of a, you know, a quote, struggling artist as well, in yeah. that, you know, they're online, they don't really have many resources, I don't know if they have advertising or anything like that, and it's just, like, do you see a future for stuff like that, like these kind of startup radio stations, online things like uh, probably the biggest scale online radio station that comes to mind right now is the Lot Radio in New York, which is like it broadcasts everything on YouTube, it broadcasts everything on Mixcloud, and they get like really big name DJs and stuff like that. And they seem to be doing really well and have a really good name, but they're also like not just a radio station, you know, it's like 
a destination to go. They have a web, a web stream and it's kind of like, a, it's almost like a party at night, you know? So it's like, do, do radio stations, like a good radio station, does that have to be like an artist, all things to all people? You know, you have to be online, you have to be doing this and that and selling these shirts and making as much money off as much things as you can. Yeah, I think it has to have that wider view of, of uh, the way things are right now. And undoubtedly, like the, the, the examples you mentioned, you could say NTS as well as being something that's like a bastion of good taste. And, uh, and it's uh, such a relief to have that. And Dublin Digital Radio is the, uh, probably the most significant development in terms of broadcasting, I think, because they're just after stripping away all of the uh, bullshit that goes with you know, the being a station um, and reduced it to the essential elements, which is uh, really good people choosing the music and uh, giving that power back to people who are capable of doing something with it. You know? so, um, so to me, that's the model of like, uh, some kind of future um, idea with where radio will occupy a space. Um, the idea of um, you know, broadcasting across um, uh, the medium wave or whatever, or even FM, uh, and reaching people, uh, it's like you really have to try to kind of think more in terms of like what, you know, I, I teach radio to um, uh, uh, students in Dundalk and over the last few years I've noticed that you know if you ask a student what what is actually a radio uh, and you presented um, a, you know a, a radio as in with the aerial and all that it's like it's uh, it kind of looks like a toaster with a piece of wire out of it or something there's not a, a lot of recognition for the medium itself so um, so therefore you know it's it's definitely uh, something that when you ask the question about it, you have to be so much more that I think you do have to be more. But um, unfortunately, the power is still in the hands of the people who control the licenses. And the people who control the licenses, um, I've met a lot of those music controllers and none of them have ever liked music. So that's the problem. So that's where the problem lies. If you want to go to the root of the situation. <laughs> um, like. Um, going back to the idea of technology and Spotify, like I kind of go through phases. I was talking about this last night with someone where like sometimes I think that Spotify is brilliant. You know, you can like you're never going to go into a gig anymore without having heard a band, you know? Like I guess the surprise factor then is lost of a gig, you know, that you're not going to get that. But like do you like do you use Spotify? Do you like Spotify or do you think like you like the voice in between, which yeah. is like uh, acting as a conduit between, like, yeah. listen to this new band. Well, this being my voice, I'd say I'd like the voice in between, but it's more, it's more Spotify to me is kind of um, terrifying and really good. That, that mixture of what I was saying earlier about the technology being amazing and also being, you know, a hindrance to, but I mean, Spotify is, um, um, it's probably in some ways like the most clear attempt by technology to kill the DJ, you know, in, in the sense that that conduit for something, a human sort of uh, set of ears uh, in between all the music and the listener so that they are, you know, like narrowing it down and, and, and developing something or presenting something in such a way that it makes sense. Uh, an algorithm is effective up to a certain point, but beyond that it's just like, uh, I don't think an Andy, an al there's an algorithm that could match sort of Andy Weatherall's taste in music because, you know, he's constantly trying to surprise you and he's constantly trying to kind of push the envelope and discover new things. I'd probably say I'd try to do that as well, not as, as well as him, but like in a similar way, you know, it's like 
you should really be trying to kind of confound the expectations if you're a really good DJ. Uh, but if um, an algorithm just provides you with some kind of like, you know, a sort of, uh, it's the sort of, um, the, the, um, the end point of a series of uh, statistical kind of calculations, you know. So um, I, I have, friends of mine have, told me about great tunes and I say where did you get that and it's like off the Spotify recommendations thing but um, I yeah I'm my own Spotify recommendations server <laughs> and like the idea of teaching um, radio to students is that something that you enjoy or do you have to kind of teach the kind of I don't know how much you can say since it is a job yeah. like are you able to are you trying to like steer them away from like no, listen to this, yeah. you know, play the good stuff. Yeah. Well, I, Lou Reed died one day, uh, well, he's, unfortunately, a very sad day, but it was, uh, I asked the class, like, about uh, their impressions of Lou Reed, and there was nobody in the class knew who Lou Reed was, so I had to kind of go back and uh, sort of do some information about stuff. Uh, but uh, there's, um, I guess that, um, I, uh, you know, when I'm, teaching. Um, I was lucky enough that I went to a college where I, I met some really good lecturers in um, photography and in, in radio and stuff. So I think um, the best thing you can do there is try to kind of at least get through to people who are passionate about something. So if you notice that, that people are, um, you can steer them in a direction for sure, you know. And uh, I guess um, you, you, you'd always try to steer people towards quality anyway, so it's one of the most important things um, is that you would be discerning about what you listen to and how you can kind of notice whether something is good or not so good. And um, when teaching people about radio, like the most important thing is about um, whether or not it's good communication or bad communication. And uh, I don't know whether we are guilty of good communication or whether we are responsible for bad communication right now, but it's like, it's a very fundamental thing about being able to notice when something is working and when something isn't working. So um, just being able to clear all the way the, all the, all the rubbish that people are in people's heads and sort of be able to notice when something is, is, is really true and when something isn't, that's the basic thing. End of lesson. <laughs> Um, so, like, let's talk about your journey since the small hours ended uh, a few years ago. Were you, like, that last week of shows, you did a week of shows and you had loads of musicians in and they were kind of, like, all together in the same room sort of thing and creating music together and stuff. Yeah. Was that kind of where the idea of uh, the St. No Disco came from? Um, what, like, did you have a plan for when uh, the small hours ended, like, what you were going to do? Or were you like, oh, God, what am I going to do? I, I was that, but with a bit more panic. Like, oh, oh God. What am I going? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, dear God, what are you doing to me? Uh, no, no, it's uh, more like very random thing. But that last week was very special because, again, it was a statement of like you know leaving the station that I'd been in for for 14 years, and uh, so we. Uh, never, I never made a fuss really, but until that last week where I decided to, I'll invite lots of people in, and it was it was great because it was kind of going out with a bang, you know, as such, and um, um, it was a pretty special time. I mean, I think um, I was I was aware that from then on it was going to be tough. Didn't really know how tough because um, it's been a real struggle to get back on the radio. Um, Do you want to be back on the radio? Oh yeah, I mean, really? Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd be delighted to, but it's just like the the space for people within commercial radio or within um, um, state broadcasting, it's the polite way of putting it, um, so those spaces have closed down, you know, so like 20 years ago, um, which is when um, 
the Radio Ireland started, or Today FM as it's, as it's now called, um, they had, if you read their, their submission statement to the BAI um, and you, you look at what Today FM now is, so if you read what Radio Ireland got the license on and what Today FM now is, um, it's like, it's not just one PhD thesis on how to um, pull the wool over people's eyes, but it's like several theses all at once. So there's, um, you know, in that statement they'll have uh, lots of uh, sections about minority programming and taste and, you know, culture and so on. And uh, again, I refer you to the on-air output of Today FM now and maybe do a little contrast and compare. So, um, so from going from 1997 to 2018, what you have is you have the reduction of uh, the industry to a numbers game. So it's just purely about the people who, where the action is, is where um, the people are doing, uh, you know, uh, quant quality or surveying about uh, which ads work and which music work with which ads. So there's nothing to do with, again, the music is only a very small part of that equation. So, um, and the same within the state broadcaster, you know, they've pushed their, or their specialist programs into 2XM, and again, they do a good job, but like it's not the central part of the whole thing, and in the central part of the thing, they're still playing Hotel California, so you know, they're still living, living it up, that dream. So. Um, so what was kind of the first thing that you did after, it, after the show ended? Like, were you just kind of like trying to find yourself again? Yeah, it's an ongoing uh, struggle. But no, it's, um, it was, it, yeah, I found it very difficult to adjust after having, like, I felt very lucky to be, had such a good innings, you know, like getting paid to, to do that thing. And I knew that would never happen again, so I just didn't know it would never happen again, really. <laughs> uh, I was just still hopeful of um, finding some uh, out, uh, outlet. So living in the real world was a bit of a shock to the system. And um, because if you're playing music at night, um, um, and your focus is that, I mean, I, for 14 years I just was deflecting the, um, people generally said after, you know, well, you're a jammy bastard, so that's uh, generally what I was kind of like dealing with, which, which I knew I was because, you know, there's, there's not an awful lot of, it's not rocket science to have to just play music, you know, talk about it. Um, and then also being, uh, working late at night and stuff like that, um, you know, I got very used to uh, listening to music, playing music, and then just cycling home and thinking about it. So, um, you know, from going from there to, to, to teaching and uh, being answerable to lots of people with um, faces and mouths and questions on Mondays, you know, that's a big difference. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the music because sometimes that's something that you forget like with DJs that like you're such a lover of music like I mean you mentioned Lou Reed earlier I mean I don't know if he had a big impact on your life but like do you have like one musician or one act that you're kind of like in a DJ set or if you're um, like on, on the radio is there one act where you're like I'm gonna play these guys um, it's funny there's no um like, I, I grew up in a farm in Kerry. Uh, it's a county just over there, that way, just kind of like... Um, but um, equally fair county. So, um, yeah, I grew up in a farm in Kerry. Uh, to be honest, the first things that I was really into were... Um, uh, well, God, first of all, and then uh, that changed when I saw Yazoo and Top of the Pops. And, uh, <laughs> and then I bought Smash Hits with Yazoo on the cover, and I was cycling back from uh, the shop. 
uh, past the church and normally I'd look at the church kind of like lovingly but I didn't I just looked at the magazine and uh, that's the moment it went from Yezu to Yazu and from then on there was no turning back so the early period was all about like you know it was when Yazu and Depeche Mode and orchestral maneuvers in the dark which is something that it was kind of difficult to say orchestral maneuvers in the dark in Kerry in the 70s or late, late early 80s uh, without getting beaten up but um but I went to the first thing I bought uh, was our orchestral maneuvers in the dark album that's uh, Andy for OMD there and uh, so um, I had to I'd been cycling to Kalani which was about 10 miles away just to look at tapes uh, I thought that was worthwhile and uh, in a carousel and uh, so I noticed orchestral maneuvers in the dark and um, but I didn't know how to say it, so I, I went up to the uh, counter and said, "I'd like uh, the OMD tape." And they was like, "Oh, OMD, what's it for?" And I was like, "Geez, that's a big question for you know." I think to listen to. And uh, she said, "No, well, no, what's it for? Is it for like a flashlight or something?" And she thought it was an OMD battery. So, no, I had to then say, "Well, no, it's actually Arche architecture and morality by orchestra maneuvers in the dark." So you know, and black eye. And and so that was the start of your DJ career, yeah. like telling people about music. <coughs> and so, what's it for? That's what I'd be, I'm still answering that question. I don't know. <laughs> so, so like, where does it go from there? Like, I mean, I kind of associate you with such an eclectic taste, and like, um, like I remember that last week of shows with the small hours, and you had um, Matson doing yeah. a session like 19-year-old Jack Colloran, yeah. who like kind of blew up yeah. shortly after that, and like was traveling the world and playing yeah. all over the place, like. Um, I mean, what did you get into, like the Smiths and all of that stuff, or did you kind of veer more towards the kind of dancey side no, of things? I, I, had, I had like a really long period of listening to really sad music. There was like when when No Disco was on in Cork, uh, Colm, the producer, had a picture of me with a speech bubble saying, "I like sad music." So it was um, I anything that was like heavy on the emotional stuff. It was like so Bob Dylan, and then that's the best stuff. But then it like deteriorated into some really terrible stuff like like uh, bread and Albert Hammond and stuff like that really terrible terrible stuff and then th that didn't change until I went to Barcelona and um, met a DJ there and uh, again like people people often people come up to me and say where do you get the tune <laughs> they say where do you get your music and I, I I always get it from other people so like it's like I could steal a tune from you on and I wouldn't tell you and then the next day I'll play it and then then people say oh that's a great tune but I don't tell them it's Owen's tune no but, uh, that's how it comes from other people you know so it's not any it's always like a word of mouth thing so have friends in lots of places who are really into music and that's really where it comes from you know so the um yeah dance music happened much later uh probably the first real change was being influenced by uh giles peterson and patrick ford pa giles peterson in particular his uh, jazz FM, yeah. Before BBC C6, there was Jazz FM. So he would do a Sunday night show, and uh, and friends of mine would at the time send the tape. So there's no uh, sending files, and um, and I would be driving up and down to Cork to do no disco, listening to this show, and thinking I'd rather do that. And then also, um, um, yeah, went to Barcelona. Uh, met somebody on the street who said, oh, my brother's a DJ, he's going to be here in a minute, he'll tell you where to go, and his, their brother came along, and they said, uh, are you the DJ? And I was like, oh, I'm a DJ, and uh, he said, what music do you like? I was like, I like everything, and he said, okay, everything, so what 
what's your favorite electronic music tune? And I said, oh, it's Carl Craig Desire. And he was going, oh, that's mine too. We're going to be friends. So became friends with him. And over the next eight days, everything changed. <laughs> it's, it's like a, like a musical reckoning sort of thing. You were, yeah. were, you, were you like trying to one up up each other? Like, oh, no. oh I love this band. Have you heard these no, guys? Yeah. Have you heard yeah, these yeah, guys? Those, those kind of one upmanship conversations uh, only last for a very short amount of time. But this was no, it was a kind of a sharing of um, information, you know, so, which is what I guess good conversations are about. So um, no, it was just a, he was a fantastic DJ who was, you know, I, th I think Andy Weatherall is the only person who I would have admired most or more in terms of like his, his choice selection. And um, so, yeah, a whole new world opened up and um, it was listening to his in, in his house uh, uh, when I was listening to a, a track by um, uh, a Van Morrison version of Bob Dylan's It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, that I, I rang RT and said, oh, you can, you can, um, I can't really say, you can put no disco where somebody puts, anyway, you can stuff it somewhere. <laughs> Into your picnic basket. Um, Keanu Cuevon on Tev Tool, who I mentioned earlier, he, he's also a wedding DJ and he has like a list of, like a very long list of songs that he put up on his Facebook page of like tracks that he will not play at a wedding. Like, do you have songs that you, like, will not play while, like, you're DJing or while you're on the radio? Or are you kind of, like, an open book? Is there any band that you're, like... No, I'd say, like, uh, that's a good question. I, I definitely don't play Rock the Boat. Because, um, I, um, the last time that... I, the yeah. <laughs> Baby. Uh, no. <laughs> well, actually, on that point, we should probably just, on that bombshell, uh, I was at a wedding one time and I was asked to play Rock the Boat uh, by the bride's sister. That makes her the bridesmaid, maybe. Uh, and it makes me the guy who just, like, went into a panic, jumped in a rented car and, like, actually smashed my rented car off some thing on the pier which cost $800 so like I was on my way to try get rock the boat and I crashed the car so from as well as from taste based reasons there's also like safety based reasons why you shouldn't play rock the boat ever <laughs> and like coming back to the the radio show like did like I, I don't I can't think off the top of my head how long it was on air uh, almost 15 years did you see your tastes change over the course of it? Well, like, well, if you don't, you're just doing something wrong. So there's like, you know, on a daily basis, um, one of the things that I was like aware of was the fact that I was really lucky to be doing that. So, um, you know, you'd get letters from people who were, at the time, letters still existed as well. So you get communication from people who were stuck in some way, you know, like a prison probably being the, the most... Um, obvious one. Um, got a great letter from a guy that started by saying, um, I picked a really bad year to go to prison. Um, uh, and he listed out all the gigs that he was missing. And also, <laughs> it just sounded like, you know, one of us, somebody who got in trouble for something that, like, he wasn't a bad guy. So, um, I, I, anyway, I also studied law in UCC for a little while, so I know a little bit about these things. <laughs> And uh, I should have continued that to sue myself for um, choosing to do it in the first place and also for telling you this story today. So, <laughs> And it's going up online for the whole world, so it's going to be well, out I there. I apologise to uh, RT and take this opportunity and uh, also to the legal department of yeah. Yeah. I'd like to notify. Yeah, the legal department of my one-person website. That's me, Donald. <laughs> well, you're going to be hearing from my lawyer off air, so... <laughs> 
So, um, this ain't no disco. Then started like a couple of years. Or okay. It started eighteen months ago. Yeah. Um, like, was that the culmination of what I mentioned earlier? Kind of like that last week of the radio show. Like, is yeah. is that something that you've always had in mind? Kind of like, if you bring different musicians yeah. together, well, they'll create magic. Like, I mean, um, the most obvious example. I don't know if people have watched that show. It's a brilliant show. It's on YouTube for free. You know. Um, but uh, Nico Muli and uh, oh, yeah. Connor from Villagers is kind of like, and that song went up on Spotify. They did a collaboration yeah. for the show, and it's kind of like. It, I don't know, was it you who brought them together? Or was uh, it like, uh, they already had the idea? Was, um, yeah, that one was me, alright, but... Um, um, like, why, what did you see that like, made you think, these two can work together and yeah, make great magic? Um, was, was there something there? I, well, actually, like the precursor to those uh, last shows on Small Hours was one summer, uh, I don't know how this happened, but they allowed me to have a Sunday evening show for eight weeks, and that was the first time that I used to go into the studio and actively kind of build people around, uh, just, you know, take charge of whatever is happening in the room and make something happen between two people. That was the basis of it. So, so I'd get one musician and another musician and know that they might, sparks might fly or I mean a spark might fly. Um, and that was kind of like, oh, well, a realization that, well, you're not, you could, you could be actively involved in making something happen. So then when we did the This Ain't No Disco, there's always some collaboration at the heart of it. So that's always trying to set something up where you think, I'll bring that person to that person and, you know, something will happen there. So we've got a whole lot of things that, like, um, you'd like to see happening in this country. I think what I, one of the things that I'm really interested in is um, there's a whole new generation of traditional uh, musicians who are, I think, kind of forging a new path for the form. Um, it's a kind of thing where I think the generation that's playing now that are really great have uh, more of a, an open mind towards other music. So um, I find that there's a lot of uh, people who are that good, who are open-minded about it, like A, where the music comes from, and B, what music is, which is like a much wider concept. Um, and so putting people from the new stream of, of the tradition and meeting sort of some of the older people, I'm really interested in that. Like there's a woman down in, in uh, Elizabeth Cronin's granddaughter, Eilish Toomey, um, a Shano singer uh, from Cork. She's one of my favorite singers and so we've been trying to film her with like one of the kind of new school, like Rady Pete for a while. Uh, so something like that, like Ian from Lynched in the last episode was with Luke Cheevers, uh, an amazing singer and storyteller. And that, that was one of the most satisfying things. You're just kind of connecting up dots with, uh, with Connor and with Nico Mooley. Um, that was just a, a potential kind of thing that I thought um, I had heard that Connor was interested in working with him. And we just tried to set it up and we just managed to bluff our way into it. So um, I, the, the, there's a funny story. There's a video that we made for that. Um, but I, I shot the video overnight in a, on a bridge in, in, um, in Man, or Brooklyn Bridge. And uh, so I was so excited by doing this thing that's like um, on, in the morning after staying up all night shooting the video, um, somebody passed me going and started talking about the camera. And, uh, and I ended up like 
given them a lesson in what I was doing over the course of three hours and missing my flight home. So that's the dedication to the cause. Uh, I will miss my flight for you. <laughs> um, did the filmmaking come after the radio show? Uh, you were like kind of, I don't know, looking for something to do and, and you picked up a camera? Because it came because in, uh, in the original um, Nodiscope, before the This Ain't Nodiscope, um, there was like a limitation to what you could play because there was only videos for so much music and it was always stuff that was on a record company or whatever and um, so but I was listening to all this other music that was I'd hear on Joyce Peterson or whatever and uh, in order to be able to play that music on the TV I thought oh well I, sh I should make something a video that would be you know a pretend video so that's why I started shooting Super 8 and um, and just turning them into little videos. It was called Audio On, that section. And uh, it was like, it was probably the reason that, that uh, <laughs> I, you know, in the third year of doing that show, I got control of the music and that's when it started to go rapidly downhill. So uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was, again, pushing the, the boat out in that respect will probably get you sacked, but it's satisfying for a short while, you know. <laughs> Um, this ain't no disco, it's a collaboration with um, Miles O'Reilly yeah. of Arbutus Yanks, yeah. the filmmaker. Um, like, how, how do you work and how does an episode come together? Does it come together like in the space of like a month? You're yeah. like, okay, next episode, mm -hmm. one month we have everything booked, or is yeah. it like a much longer thing? And like, mm -hmm. is it more work than you envisaged? Oh, yeah, it's an awful lot of work. I mean, there's each. Each one is is shot to a very high standard, you know, in terms of like it could be a video for the people. So each one, might, each piece might take a day, you know. So like there's seven pieces or six or seven pieces. So it'll generally take five or six days to shoot it, and you're doing this without anybody getting paid at all for anything. So um, you know, like in the course of doing this, say no disco. There's a place in NCAD, uh, a cafe called Luncheonette, which uh, is uh, um, is my favorite place to go. But without really ever asking the question, can I take food from here to pay the people who are doing this thing for nothing? Uh, I just ended up doing that anyway. So that's the kind of place where they kind of uh, allow that to happen. So I just I, I've fed the crews from uh, or, or anybody who's working on the thing by doing it that way. And again, it's the kind of thing that happens when you do something for nothing. People will help you in such a way. And uh, and there's something really charming and brilliant about that because it's really reassuring that if somebody supports you that like and I would I would genuinely feel that like you know um, when people like do something that's that's very generous it really is as good in some ways as as a payment of sorts you know it's it's a, it's its own reward at that point so um, we put uh, we have put an awful lot of, of, of time and work into it but I think that it's a, an attempt to be kind of like like other you know good and well-intentioned things like what you do uh, and uh, there's other examples like those things are um, they're kind of like uh, I suppose attempting to sum up what's happening right now uh, because there's not really the people who should be doing that are just going blah 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 you know so there's not uh, there's not enough people trying to kind of like 
you know, really get to the heart of the matter. And uh, and for me, it's like you know, it's a golden age of Irish music. So um, it's it just makes sense to kind of investigate in such a way, and it's worth the effort. Um, I don't know if it's ever going to happen again, but I really hope it will. But um, yeah, so it's yeah. To some right, to answer your question, um, it takes a, a lot of time, but um, it's very rewarding, you know. So it'd rather be on the outside, kind of trying to 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 make some sort of statement than be on the inside um, and comfortably numb. <laughs> and so the Pathways documentary, just to kind of bring it all up to the, to the present day, um, it was for uh, St. Patrick's Festival, they commissioned it. It's you kind of traveling the world, talking to these 10 Irish creatives who have made it in different fields, whether it be dance, uh, acting, music, like any other realm of the arts. Do you find, like, uh, Jape, did the music for it. He's currently based in Sweden and he's also the first person that you talk to in there. And he's been very open about like how he found it quite difficult moving to Sweden and kind of adjusting to life over there. Um, did you, do you find it like, does it kind of challenge your own like thinking when you hear about what these people have kind of sacrificed or what they're like trying to achieve? Does it make you think, I have to do better at what I'm trying to do? Yeah. Like, does it really like reassure you that they're making it work so much, I have to try yeah. that much harder as well? Well, every, every artist that you meet, or every body who's, who's strived to say something, uh, what's really uh, illuminating is like how they held their conviction at a point where, you know, they might have been under pressure or, and very often when artists are pushed into some kind of, you know, new environment or new situation where things aren't as easy as as maybe they had it previously or as they imagined or whatever that's when the the kind of the cream rises to the top i think because you know that the, the the attempts by people to break through that thing and get to like the next level um they're the that's the information we were always looking for when it comes to asking them well you know what happened how did he get there so it's like it's like then trying to kind of put all of those insights together so that there's um i think you know the the most important thing would be to try to be insightful into into their world because each of those person brings some information as to how they got to that point you know or how they took that leap of imagination and uh, when it comes to like how that works for me um, every time all of those conversations would have been sort of illuminating in some way where I would feel like yeah I would definitely feel like well I have to you know constantly improve your game but also um, that you know that conviction I think that you have is something that it, it ought to be strengthening as opposed to weakening outside forces can can take that away from you but if it's in your heart then uh, and if it's really important um it's the fire is going to get bigger you know so like it's uh, all, all of those people richie included um would have suffered from that kind of crisis of confidence that comes without a lack of success and um but yes even though he's been oh no yeah 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 Yeah, for sure. Uh, even the people who like, you know, like Fiona Shaw, who have incredible careers, um, you know, when you get down to the heart of the matter, um, there's always a moment or moments in their life where they um, probably 
had to face up to whether or not they could keep going or doing that. And, um, and the people who kind of answered yes are the ones we talked to because you know, they're the ones with the, the, the good story to tell. But um, it's the only answer. You know, if, you're, if you've got that true thing in your genes to, to, to create and to say something, you're going to have to say it. So, um, so that's what was really interesting about that was uh, just having, I suppose, it's confirmation of what you believe in. You know, so, so, and, uh, and when it comes from such eminent people with interesting backgrounds and stories to tell, it's, it's very reassuring. So it was rewarding. Yep. And, and so we're here the Sunday, the third day of It Takes Village. You said that it's a golden age of Irish music. Like, I don't know if you can say it's a golden age of festivals, but like, this is like the start of something new. Um, like, have you had a good weekend? Have you had... Yeah. Uh, like discovered something new or discover or rediscovered something old uh, yeah i think it's well the best festival would provide all of those things um like um just delighted that there's such a presentation, such a strong um, a, a show of strength, really, in their conviction about uh, what's good. Because you know, there's 95% of the acts are Irish. Um, the quality and range of music that's happening in the country is like has never been better. Um, I think it's like a new generation of of, um, of people producing music, but also you know, um, even last night, what was really good was like uh, like Greg and Shane were in, in their world in there and that was great and then out here there was Sim Sim were down there and that's another side of the world but like it's like it's definitely a different world but so it's really good to have that variety and then all day throughout the day yesterday um, I just loved being able to wander around and uh, check things out the programming is superb uh, the production is amazing uh, people like uh, so it's more like um, and also what I really like is the lack of fuss about the, you know, so artists and, and the ideal situation would be where artists and, and the audience is the same. Uh, that's a very, very delicate thing to actually make happen because um, it only works at a certain size probably. But this is just the right size where, you know, I, I, yeah, I, any artist I met over the course of the weekend was feeling that, um, you know, the lack of barriers and, and that can be very uh, conducive to producing your, you know, putting forward your best game face and, and showing your strongest game. And, uh, and I've seen lots of examples of that over the course of the weekend where, you know, people in that environment want to do better. And like I saw um, Lancome do a, a track with the Jimmy Cake, which, uh, you know, even Cormac Dermody is a member of, of Lancome and all his brothers are in Jimmy Cake. As a child, he went to, to see Jimmy Cake. And, uh, you know, why... Uh, yeah, you can always, if you, if you can have your mind blown by members of your own family, that's a really good way to start your life. <laughs> but uh, this was kind of like a response to that, and that was the first time they played together. So it was just um, a phenomenal thing, and um, I, it was the, a pretty mind-blowing way to start the weekend. And I came down at the start of the weekend thinking, well, maybe I'll go to back tomorrow, maybe I'll go the next day. So it's, it's Sunday at lunchtime now, so I haven't got home yet. <laughs> and you're DJing later, do you know the public service Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know, actually. Um, I was meant to be DJing at the pool party, but um, I, I, uh, I, started in a I, no, I started in a domestic sad as a child, and I can't go back there now, so... Um, does anybody have any questions? <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> yeah. Does anybody want to ask me further about that? <laughs> Great, listen, Donald, thanks a lot. Thanks oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Enjoy your Sunday. Thank you so much.